0: a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold and it is time once again to get into our Bibles and let's do some studying. So get out your your book, whether it's your iPad or your your Bible or wherever you read and study God's Word, grab a notebook and a pen. Jeff Verdorn and I are going to continue our study in Thessalonians. We're all the way to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you've been following any of the study, you know how awesome it is. And we're back at it today. I can hardly wait. Jeff, welcome back. Hi, Bill. Lesson 14. Wow. Thank you for reminding me of that. Number 14. Number 14. And we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I can hardly wait.
1: We are. So last time we were in chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We actually made it through the entire chapter in one episode. That's a new record, I think, for us. I agree. So uh, just a little reminder, a little review. We were... Studying, uh, started 2 Thessalonians last week in chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians, like 1 Thessalonians, was written by Paul right around 51 AD. The main themes of this book are to encourage the believers in their persecution with this hope of the rapture. And the rapture is discussed, if you recall, uh, I've mentioned this many times, that in every chapter of both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the rapture is mentioned and then finally the other theme of second thessalonians is to correct some misunderstandings or some bad teachings that the thessalonians had received about the rapture and about the end times and that actually occurs in chapter 2 where we are at today so today is this really interesting chapter uh, chapter 2 Where we get to Paul is now correcting some of the bad teaching that the Thessalonians had received about the rapture and the end times. Okay. So remember, the Thessalonians thought that they had missed the rapture Mm -hmm. and that their persecution was so bad they thought they were in the tribulation. They actually believe that this tribulation that is yet to come, this seven-year tribulation period, which is really bad. This is like wrath of God kind of stuff. This is the the whole book of Revelation has all of the details about this seven-year period that's going to come upon the world. The Thessalonians' persecution was so bad. They thought they were in that seven-year tribulation, uh, because, uh, and Paul is going to correct that. So why don't we jump in here? Verse one, read verse one and verse two, and then we'll pause if you would, Bill. All right.
0: Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one and two. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter. Asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Well, so here we start out, and this is the what I was just
1: talking about. The Thessalonians thought that the day of the Lord has already come; that they were already in the tribulation period. That they, the uh, Paul begins with uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. Well, that is the rapture. That's the rapture we've been talking about. All these, uh, all these different lessons. Uh, throughout the entire book of first and second Thessalonians. And he's telling them, don't get unsettled, don't get alarmed um, from a teaching, which he says allegedly from us. Well that's a very interesting line. They they clearly received some kind of letter that was supposedly from Paul, but wasn't. In other words, there was an imposter, mm. some kind of fraud. Somebody was writing the Thessalonians or making up some teaching saying that this was from Paul, and it wasn't. Wow. So very early on in the church, we see that there is false false teaching and false premises uh, being ascribed even to in, in a false way uh, within the church of, of Jesus Christ. So uh, false teaching, as we're going to talk about today, has been with us for a very long time, since the very beginning. And that's pretty clear in those first two verses, Jeff, that there is trouble. Uh, there is. And in fact, Paul in the next chapter says at the end of chapter 3, he says, now I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And he was telling them, hey, if you receive something else mm-hmm. from me, if it doesn't look like this, then it's not from me. So the church was already dealing with fraudsters and false teachings very early on. Wow! So here's the issue: they thought the day of the Lord had already came. We've talked extensively about this day of the Lord um, already in this lesson, but just remember that the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church and includes the tribulation period. So the day of the Lord that they thought they were in, uh, that they thought they missed, was the rapture, and that the day of the Lord had already begun, meaning they thought. They were already in the tribulation period. All right, let's continue.
0: Verse three and four. Read three and four. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself
1: to be God. So this man, let's start with this man really quick, the man of lawlessness. This is the Antichrist. In 1 John, he's called the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, he's called the beast. Here, he's called the man of lawlessness. This is one of the most predominant characters during the tribulation is this antichrist is this man of lawlessness is the beast and we'll talk about him a little bit more but what is paul saying is the sequence of events that they are to look for uh that they they thought they were in it but they actually don't understand it properly so he's explaining to them here's the sequence number one this rebellion occurs first number two The Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness, is then revealed. And then number three, it's all the things that the Antichrist is going to do. This tribulation period, the tribulation comes. This is where the Antichrist is going to, for example, set himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself God. That actually happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period this event by the way which daniel describes as an abomination of desolation jesus describes it as an abomination of desolations in matthew 24 and here paul is describing it as this man this antichrist this man of lawlessness is going to set himself up as god in the temple of god and that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period so paul's saying this rebellion occurs then the antichrist is revealed and then the tribulation or the end times will come.
0: Jeff, can we just take a, a little detour and talk about the the abomination of desolation? Sure. Uh, only because that's going to be something that people are going to go, blah blah blah. But tell me, what is that again? What is that? Yeah. So it it comes
1: originally in Scripture from Daniel chapter nine. Jan- Daniel nine is an amazing prophecy, not only about the first coming of Jesus, but also and and the timing of his first coming. But it also sets the framework for this final seven-year period that's going to come upon the world that Daniel 9 outlines is basically the Antichrist is going to come. Then he is going to set up an abomination of desolation in the temple at the midpoint of this tribulation, of this seven-year tribulation period. And then at the end... Uh, his his destruction comes. It will be poured out upon him, and, and this man of lawlessness, this beast, this Antichrist, is going to come to his end. And of the end times, that's all we learn from this Daniel 9 prophecy is that the Antichrist comes, he sets up an abomination, and then the end is poured out upon him. In Matthew 24, Jesus spends a whole chapter describing the tribulation period and all the events that precede his second coming not the rapture, his second coming. And he once again mentions this abomination spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Mm -hmm. And Israel, when you see that, you need to flee. You need to get out of Dodge. Remember that passage where it says flee into the wilderness where God is going to protect Israel for three and a half years. So we know that this abomination is in the middle of the tribulation. We know it's set up by the Antichrist And we know here from Paul, because I think Paul is describing the same event, Mm -hmm. that it's a time where he is going to set himself up in the temple of God, Mm -hmm. declaring himself, meaning the Antichrist, as God. So is that
0: a person or
1: an event or both? Well, it's both. It's the person of the Antichrist, who's a real person, who's going to come, and he is then going to rule as God on earth in the second half of that tribulation period. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what that abomination is. It's a major sign uh, that will happen at the midpoint of that seven-year But it also happens in a very specific location. It does, in the yeah. temple of God. Which, by the way, I mean, it, it means that the temple, which is not standing today, right, which has not been standing since 70 A.D. when right. the temple was destroyed by the Roman general Titus and has not stood ever since for 2,000 years, that temple will be rebuilt. Hmm. And during the end times, there will be an abomination set up in the temple of God on the temple mount in Jerusalem. I don't know when that temple is going to be built next week, five years from now. It may not be built until after the rapture of the church. We don't know that. That's a theory. Mm -hmm. But whenever it's built, I know that it will be be standing by the midpoint of the tribulation period.
0: Because the rapture could happen at any time. Correct. And if it could happen at any time... And if it required that temple to be built, then it really couldn't happen at any time. Correct. Exactly.
1: That's one of the main themes of today. Again, we've talked about this, that there are no signs for the rapture of the church, no prophecies that need to be fulfilled, no events that need to happen for God to say, hey, now's the time, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and and we are going to get caught up together with them in the clouds. That day can happen today, tomorrow, next week, five years from now, ten years. We just don't. No. Yeah, I got time this afternoon. Of, I just would, so you know,
0: if, if it wanted to happen, I'd be okay with me. Today would be a really good day. I agree. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. We're in episode number 14 of our study on Thessalonians. All right, Jeff, let's pick up. So we need to define this rebellion.
1: Remember, Paul says this rebellion occurs, then the Antichrist is revealed, and then the tribulation comes. So this rebellion is actually a very pretty major sign that the, the, that the Antichrist is about to be revealed. So what is this rebellion? All right. So this is a little complicated and a little controversial and, and or debated. I should say not controversial, but debated. But here is, let me tell you what the traditional or, or maybe the majority interpretation today of this passage is in the evangelical church that this rebellion, which is the Greek word apostasia, that it means that it's a falling away. And this falling away is a falling away from truth. Um, it it they, they point to the traditional understanding or the majority understanding says that the church will follow false teachings more and more and more the closer that we get to the rapture and therefore It's a sign of the days that we are living in that the church is following false doctrine more and more and more. However, we just talked about the fact that the rapture doesn't have any signs. There are no preconditions. There are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. Mm -hmm. So how can apostasy or a following away from truth be a sign for the rapture when we just Argued, and and we have concluded it many times in this study that there are no signs for the rapture. Nothing needs to be fulfilled. It's a signless event. It can happen at any time. In addition, I would argue now, a little church history here. I would argue the church has always fallen for false teachings Hmm. and false doctrines. I would agree. If you go back to the New Testament times, Paul right here in Thessalonians is correcting false teachings. Right. He wrote to the Corinthians and both first and second Corinthians is full of corrections or correcting bad understanding or bad doctrine or bad teaching that the Corinthians believe. Galatians is written uh, about a false teaching. They, the, Some in Christianity, the mostly the Jews wanted to put new converts back under the law. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not what it's all about. Jesus writes, uh, or John sees a vision of Jesus writing seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Well, Pergamum had a whole bunch of false teachings. They were following the teachings of Balaam. Thyatira was tolerating the teachings of Jezebel and mostly about sexual immorality and things like that. Laodicea had a, a false belief of self-sufficiency. They thought they were rich. And and so God is correcting those understandings or those false teachings in those letters. You know, it, it's... It, you, Church history is full of false teaching. Constantine, who uh, put a symbol of basically the cross or the the uh, Chi symbol on the shields of his soldiers, and he sent his soldiers out to fight for Christ. He had a lot of false understandings and false teachings on what Christianity was all about. Charlemagne famously baptized his soldiers and and kept their swords above the above the water. Uh, so that they were still free to go and kill people in the, in the name of Christ. Not to mention, we had hundreds of years of the Roman Catholic Church, which has several, uh, number of different things that they have taught over the centuries that are not specifically biblical. The Protestants came along and said, hey, wait a minute, Rome, you got some issues here. So Martin Luther pinned his thesis on the Wittenberg, uh, church door and said, here's 95 things that you have wrong, uh, including, by the way, indulgences and, Understandings of purgatory and, by the way, justification by faith alone, which is a, a cardinal doctrine within the within the evangelical church, he was saying, Rome, you got all these things wrong. But lest we think the Protestants got it all right, they had vast number of doctrines and teachings that they got wrong over 100 year, of years, uh, which ended up causing splits into multiple denominations that are too many to count. I mean, mm, the now. church is full Boy. of false teachings, not, um, not, not right. to mention what we got going on today with new age movements and and um, you know social justice movements and the the woke church in a lot of ways I mean there's so many to even count we could spend a whole hour just rattling off false teachings within the church. So I think the church has always fallen for false teachings. Uh, it's not that it's going to increase. It's not a falling away from
0: truth. It's something different, mm. which we're going to look at, I think, after the break. Yeah, right? we'll come right back. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're talking about our study in Thessalonians. We're in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. I love studying God's Word, and I hope you do as well. Jeff Ferdorn is my guest. We're in Second Thessalonians, if you've been following this study. We're in episode number 14. Lots of great uh, work that we're doing in this second chapter. And clearly, Jeff, there has been a lot of deception and lawlessness and false teaching even as early as 2,000 years ago in the, in the church, in the first century.
1: Indeed. So I think that the kind of the traditional majority opinion that this word, this Greek apostasia, it means a falling away of truth as a sign for the impending rapture. Just it, it's not even a natural reading. I don't think of this passage in second Thessalonians two. So this Greek word, like I mentioned, apostasia, it can be translated as a falling away, but it can also be translated as a taken away or a a withdrawal or a departing. In fact, the original Geneva Bible uh, back in, um, I can't remember what year, end of the 1500s uh, actually translated this word as a departing needed to occur first. Well, what departs prior to the Antichrist being revealed? Well, the simple answer, as we've been discussing for 14 lessons, is the rapture of the church. That is the departing that I think Paul is talking about. It's not a falling away, but a taking away. In fact, the root word for uh, apostasia is the Greek word episteme, which means a withdrawal or a departing. And I think that is a much more natural understanding of this passage. And it fits this idea that the rapture of the church will happen prior to the Antichrist being revealed. Paul is saying that the departing will occur first, the rapture, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, and then the tribulation will come. And that is a much more natural flow, not only to the text, but a natural reading of this passage. Um, So, and and I I get that many in prophecy circles, uh, you know, around the country teach that More and more, we are going to see a falling away of truth, and we are, absolutely, but I would argue that we've always seen uh, the church departing from true doctrine. It's always been an issue in the church, and by the way, how much falling away from the truth is enough? Yeah,
0: yeah. 0.011%. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what God wants us to be firmly in in our doctrine and handle our our doctrine very closely and be that workman one approved who correctly handles Mm -hmm. the word of truth. But if it's a sign of the impending rapture, how much false teaching is enough? I mean, we've got, we have so much false teaching in the world today, but I could envision even more. And so how much is enough for the rapture to come? So what I'm saying is, I don't think the traditional view is fits the text as well, where it's more false teaching than the rapture comes. I think what Paul say, is saying is that the departing, the apostasy is the departing, it's the rapture of the church. That is what needs to happen. Then the Antichrist is revealed, who then ushers in the seven-year tribulation period. And so what Paul is doing is re, is comforting the Thessalonians who thought, remember, they thought they were in the seven-year tribulation period. And what he's saying is, no, 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 no. You can't be in the tribulation yet because the rapture has to come first. Then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And then he is going to do what he's going to do, including set himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God.
0: All right, Jeff, when... When God talks about the pouring out of his wrath, unlike anything the world has ever seen, how did the Thessalonians come to the conclusion that they might have been in that place? That's well, a big question. But. It, it, we don't have a lot of details
1: about um, what precisely was the persecution that the Thessalonians were experiencing. But if you recall, remember the general theme of persecution within the early church in that first century. I mean, we had... Christians being thrown into the lions den in Rome and so yeah. on and so the persecution is significant. I mean right. it's it's life or death kind of persecution that's going on. Yeah. And in that environment you could envision you know personally that hey this is really bad stuff happening to me personally or my my the people I know in my church and we're experiencing this life and death stuff therefore this must be the worst persecution there is, uh, you know. I.e., this is the the tribulation that is to come. So I, I think it's as simple as that. Look, the worst persecution that can come is the persecution that happens to you. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that's the big theme here. The Thessalonians thought they were in it, and Paul was reminding them, "No, you're not." So um, uh, let's go to. How much
0: time do we have? A couple minutes? Yeah, we sure do. Go to, go read verse five. Let's cover verse five. real quick. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse five says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Here is, this is kind of a interesting little verse here because
1: I think Paul is actually kind of taking a little jab at the Thessalonians. He goes, how could you have been deceived by this false teaching that supposedly had come from us? When I actually was telling you all of this yeah. stuff when I was with you. What happened? What happened? Yeah. Didn't you believe me? I told you all this stuff. You you, you, you forgot it or what? I think he's taking just a slight jab at the Thessalonians. He says, don't you remember? I used to tell you all these things when I was with you. By the way, in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, which is the verse right before Paul discusses the rapture in detail back in the last book in chapter 4. Paul says this, uh, uh, he says, quote, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So that's part of the rapture doctrine. And we didn't really cover this at the time when we were in 1 Thessalonians 4, but even the Lord's own words. So Jesus used to teach about these things as well which Paul would have heard and understood uh, probably from his revelation, but the disciples would have understood it and should have been teaching these things about the rapture to all the churches. Mm-hmm. And what my guess is, is that they weren't teaching this stuff. They weren't teaching the hope of the rapture, and therefore the church forgot them or never was taught them, and therefore they were susceptible to false teachings about the end times. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the interesting things, you look at false religious, Christian religious cults, I'll even call them cults, bad belief systems that have popped up over the centuries. There's Mm -hmm. many, many of them. Do you know what almost all of them have in common is a foundation of false teachings about the end of times. Hmm, I didn't know that. So if you remember, for example, I'll give you just one that I remember off the top of my head. Remember the Heaven's Gate yes, cult? I do. And, and they all committed suicide or something because yeah. they were expecting to be caught up into spaceships or something. Yeah. They, right? Yeah. The core of that understanding was a bad teaching about the end times. What were they believing? Uh, do you remember? That spaceships were going
0: to come. I don't Yeah, they remember were all exactly. kind of waiting in their beds. They were. After taking some kind of poison or something yes. for the spaceship to come get them. And in fact,
1: when we get to chapter three next, Paul is going to tell the Thessalonians that, Hey, you guys are sitting around not doing anything because why I think why he's going to exhort them to keep working and, and doing the right thing and mm-hmm. do, working good. And so, cause I think they were sitting around waiting for Jesus to return because they thought they were in the rapture or wow. in the tribulation period. Yeah. And therefore he's going to return any minute and weren't, doing anything and i could give you example after example of groups of people who sold everything they had went up to the top of some mountain someplace because someone taught them you know and proclaimed that jesus was going to come back next tuesday and they all went up to the top of the mountain guess what happened jesus didn't come back right and now nobody owned anything they didn't have any money left they all gave it to the charlatan and Mm -hmm. he probably ran off to you know it's got a place Tahiti. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. And look, I have a list. It's 50 pages long of people who have falsely claimed they knew when Jesus was going to come back. And you know what? Every one of them has been wrong. We cannot know when he's coming back. The The theme is that we are to be busy until he returns. Not just sitting around on the top of some mountain waiting for him to return. Uh, we have been charged with a task. One of the biggest tasks we've been charged with is go, therefore, into all the world, proclaiming this gospel, teaching them them to obey everything I've commanded you, even to the end of the age. So uh, we are to be salt and light in this world. We are to be ministers of reconciliation. We have a lot of things to do until he returns. And that's what chapter three is going to be about. And I'm getting ahead of myself because no, we're not even okay. done with chapter that's,
0: two yet. No, I, I love the energy that's coming from the yeah. other side of the studio which is the side you're sitting on. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty exciting. This is really, really good. All right, I think we'll take a, our short break right now. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're in 2 Thessalonians, Chapter 2. And if you've been following along in this series, we're in Episode 14. So there's lots of ground we've already covered. We've gone through the uh, first book of Thessalonians, and now we're in Chapter 2. So after a short break, we'll be right back. it's a great afternoon to be studying God's word which is my very favorite thing to do and I'm getting to do it with my friend Jeff Verdorn we're in second Thessalonians chapter 2 and if I may have permission Jeff I'd like to read verses what six and seven six and seven yep that's well we're let at. me get uh, to second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 says and you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Hmm, all right. Did I read that well? Yep, you did. Okay. I felt like I was a little choppy there. Well, uh, slightly, but
1: it was well. It was well I could done. I try it again. Yeah. No, that's okay. I think right. we got it. So six, <laughs> holding him back. Who is he or him? Well, we, we were just talking about this guy, the man of lawlessness, the the antichrist, the beast. And we, we just learned in the previous verses that the church is going to be taken out of the way, then the Antichrist is going to be revealed, and then, of course, the seven-year tribulation comes. So that's the outline. Let's apply that outline to this verse, and it now says that you know what's holding him back. What is holding back the Antichrist being revealed? And that is that the church has not yet been taken out of the way according to the previous verses, the apostasia, the departing, the taking away. So now Paul says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, the power of the Antichrist is already at work in this world. I'll talk about that in a minute, but we see that. Anybody who is opposed to Christ, by the way, is an Antichrist. That's by definition what it is. But we're talking about the Antichrist. That's the him who's being held back. And he says this then. The one who now holds him back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. What did we just learn is going to be taken out of the way before the Antichrist is going to be revealed, and that's the church. So this is another one of these kind of contested or debated passages, who's the he, and how can that be the the church, because the church is always described in kind of female terms, the bride and so on. Mm-hmm. That's the church, not a he. Well, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he. So some believe that it's the Holy Spirit. So you got some who argue that it's the church, some who argue that it's the Holy Spirit. In my view, it's kind of, uh, it, it, it's it's not a significant debate in the sense that the Holy Spirit indwells the church. So if the church is taken out of the way, the holy spirit who indwells the church is also significantly removed if you will from the face of the earth because the power of righteousness the power of truth the the group that has the power of of being salt and light in this world the church is a force for good for what is right for what is true for what is righteous for what for justice This is what is holding back now the power of the the Antichrist, that that the church, indwelled by the Spirit, needs to be taken away, taken out of the way. Then the Antichrist is revealed. So again, I think it's clear that the teaching is that the restraining force needs to be removed, the church needs to be removed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Antichrist is revealed. So I think that he is the Spirit-indwelled church. I don't make a distinction between the church or the Spirit because the Spirit indwells the church. Um, And that is what needs to be taken out of the way before the Antichrist is revealed. So uh, it fits perfectly with verses 1 through 5 that we just read, 6 or 7, I think is just a reiteration of that simple truth that the church is taken out of in a pre-tribulation rapture before the Antichrist is revealed. So one more point. Um, Since we are removed and the Spirit indwells the church before the Antichrist is revealed, two things. Some will say, well, how does the Antichrist work during the tribulation period? That's the first question. Well, I think the, the Holy Spirit will work exactly the same way during the tribulation period that it works prior to the rapture of the church. And that is the spirit is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, just as he does now. Mm -hmm. And he will indwell whosoever believes and is saved by God. Jesus said, I promise, if I go away, I will send you another. Mm -hmm. So every single believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment they believe, receives the Holy Spirit and is indwelt by them. And so the fact that the church indwelt by the spirit is taken out of the way as this restraining force does not mean that the Holy Spirit is going to stop working and stop indwelling true believers in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. But the church is going to be tiny compared to the church today. There, there'll there be virtually no restraining force for evil right. because the church is literally gone and awful. only a handful of people mm-hmm. will start believing and then more, and then a few, and then by the way, they're going to be killed, and we see them up in heaven, and and uh, the Antichrist is going to kill them. And look, it's going to be a very difficult time for anybody to believe and be saved and survive the tribulation period because of the great persecution that's going to come. So, um, it's a heavy thought, Jeff. It is. It's 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 a good thing that um, I remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the passage from Matthew twenty four, where uh, Jesus makes the comparison of his coming to that of the days of Noah. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, he says, remember, just as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark and then destruction came upon them in the same way. And he says, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. In other words, it will be the same thing at the rapture. We just like Noah know that a flood is coming. We know, just like Noah, that a time of wrath is coming. Mm-hmm. But Noah didn't know when God was going to call him to go through that door of the ark and enter into it, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. So, too, we in the church don't know when God is going to call us home through the door of heaven, Revelation 4, verse 1, where we go through the door of heaven. And by the way, who's the door to heaven? That's Jesus, Jesus. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're going to go through that door. So the rapture... The flood did not surprise Noah, not because he knew when it was coming, but he knew that it was coming. Mm. So to the church, we know that the rapture is coming and this time of God's wrath is going to come upon the world. We just don't know when it's going to come. We don't know when God is going to call us through that door to heaven, just like Noah and his family. Mm. Great parallel. Well, I didn't come up with it. It's in the Bible. Oh, I, so I, I figured
0: yeah, that. I got, I, yeah. I,
1: you pointed it out. I did. Nice work, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, uh, let's just make one more point about this kind of passage of five and six years, that since we are going to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed, that means that the church will not see the Antichrist come upon the world. I have read countless articles about people trying to identify who might be this antichrist. Well, you know what, church? I think God says that we should have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We should be waiting for a Savior. From heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.10. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 say that we eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's the rapture of the church when we will be with him in glory. 1 John 2 says that so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. That's the rapture of the church. God wants his church looking to heaven to Christ, not looking for an antichrist. And so I think what God intends is that we fix our eyes on him. We await for him just as the bride is waiting for the groom in the first century to come and take her to her father's home. So to the church should be have our eyes heavenward waiting for
0: a Christ to come and take us to his father's house just as he promised. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, we certainly hold hands with brothers and sisters in Christ who may not uh, be believing in this
1: this uh, teaching. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, the, the I think whenever you study eschatology, the study of end times, this is the rapture, the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, his millennial reign, and all the things that happen at the end of the age— um, there are many different interpretations of this. I believe that what I have outlined is the fits all of the appropriate passages the best. And there are many people who believe that. It's kind of called the traditional dispensational view of the end times or eschatology. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There are many, many people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him for his salvation who have a different view of either the rapture or end times in general. Uh, the good news is, is you don't get to heaven by your understanding of really any doctrinal teaching. Uh, you get to heaven through faith in Christ. Amen. Period.
0: Amen. Uh, yeah. All right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to continue our study with Jeff Verdorn as we are looking at Second Thessalonians. We're in the second chapter, if you didn't already know. But if you just joined us, you're going to want to go right to the beginning at the podcast and make sure you hear all of this. This is wonderful teaching, and we'll be right back. a great hour. Jeff Verdorn is my guest, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jeff, I know we're not going to get through chapter 2 today, but we're going to be able to uh, get a couple more verses done. Yeah, I
1: think we can get through. Let's read 8, and then probably 9 and 10 we can get through today.
0: All right, let me read 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Good. So now we have the this key phrase
1: here, and then, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Once again, it's this clear pattern. For the third time, actually, in, in in these verses, Paul is describing the departing, the taking away of the church. They're gone. Then the lawless one or the Antichrist or the beast of revelation will be revealed. So this is actually the third time he clearly states this. This, uh, this sequence of events that's going to come. Uh, and then in here, in verse 8, he gives us this line. This is, I, I love God, how he, so many times in his word, almost every time this character of the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, this beast of revelation, and I have a list of all the places that he's mentioned in all of Scripture, and almost every time, I think it's every place except for one, Where this guy is mentioned in scripture, God reminds us that he is going to come to his end. So here he says that Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and be destroyed by the splendor of his coming. This Antichrist is a defeated foe. Mm -hmm. Revelation 17 verses uh, 8 through 14, he talks about this beast and at the end of it he says, and he goes to his destruction. In Revelation 19, when Jesus returns to earth, it says then he takes this this beast, this Antichrist, and he throws them, throws him into the lake of fire of burning sulfur. In 2 Thessalonians 2.8 here, he says he's destroyed by the splendor of his coming. That's the second coming, by the way. He is a defeated foe. And by the way, Satan, who indwells this beast and gives him his power during the tribulation period, is also a defeated foe. Never forget that. I've read the back of the book. I know who
0: wins. All right, 9 and 10. All right. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing— They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved.
1: Wow. So here's the lawless one again. We're still talking about this Antichrist. He is a man. He gets his power from Satan himself. In fact, Revelation 13 says that the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So Satan, at the midpoint of the tribulation, actually indwells this beast and gives him great power. That's how he's able to rule the world as a man, as quote-unquote God from the temple of God. Um, I, you know, at this point, I like to point this out. This is another one of these things that, it, that uh, I, I, I have a little different take than maybe the traditional or common view. There, th- we see three characters in the end times, three bad characters in the end times. We see Satan, we see the beast or the Antichrist, and we see another guy that's described in Revelation 13 who's called the false prophet. There's a second beast in Revelation, and he's called the false prophet. So we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Well, the common, this is often referred to as the unholy trinity, and I agree with that. They are an unholy trinity. But people want to say that Satan is like God, the Antichrist is like Jesus, and the false prophet is like the Holy Spirit. But I want to just point out something. We just heard from Paul that the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. The Antichrist is the false God. The second beast of Revelation, known as the false prophet, he has, see if this sounds familiar, two horns like a lamb. He makes the earth worship the first beast. He performs great signs. He causes all to, who refuse to worship the beast to be killed, and he causes all to receive a mark on their forehead or, or their hand. That's the mark of the beast. Well, that kind of sounds like an imitation of Jesus, doesn't it? it who sure is does. the true prophet who came as a lamb of God? He did not his own will, but the will of his Father. He pointed everyone to God, the Father up in heaven. So I think the false prophet is like the false Jesus, and Satan, rather than being the false God is acting more like the false Holy Spirit who indwells the the Antichrist the and gives him mm-hmm. his power. Wow. So instead of Satan being God, the beast being Jesus, and the false prophet being the Holy Spirit, I think it's the Antichrist is the false God, the false prophet is the false Jesus, and Satan acts as the false Holy Spirit. Hmm. There is what i think is the is more an accurate representation of the false trinity or the unholy trinity as some would call it. So, but look, clearly Paul has made a strong case three different times that the sequence of events that is going to come is that the church is going to be removed. This is the rapture. He's been talking about this rapture in every single chapter in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. They're the one that depart, they're the ones that are going to leave Then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. So church, don't look for an Antichrist, look for a Christ. And then the tribulation period will come. So the church is not going to go through the tribulation period. Paul used to tell them these things, but they believed a false teaching and believed that they were in the tribulation
0: when they were not. Cool. Very cool. Thank you for that, Jeff. All right. That is... uh Takes us through uh, verse eight. Not well. We did nine and ten. am sorry. Nine
1: and ten, of course. Yeah. So eleven. By the way, do we do we have a minute? Do we have three? have three minutes. Three minutes. Yeah. Eleven. I'll just get a little preview here. Eleven has this idea of this powerful delusion that God uh, is going to allow them to believe this lie. We just heard about this, by the way, in in verse ten that it says that. Uh, that the Antichrist comes with signs and wonders to serve this lie, and now God is going to say in verse 11 that God sends them to powerful delusion, so they believe this lie. Well, we're going to talk about this next time, but what is the lie that the world is going to believe during the tribulation period? Hmm. That's the question. What is this lie? What is this lie? Well, I think Paul just described it to us. That Ant- antichrist is going to set himself up as God in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Mm-hmm. I think that the delusion that is coming upon the world is they are going to believe this man in the temple, this antichrist, is God. I think that's the powerful delusion that's going to come in the end times, in the tribulation mm-hmm. period, and we'll talk about that more.
0: Yeah, next so time. Paul would be writing to who? Because the church is going to be removed. So yep. who, who is he wanting to inform about this? Well, there's it, this is, gets to one of the questions of
1: that I often get when I teach on the end times. It's like, well, why do we study the end times if we're going to be gone? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because God actually gives us a lot of detail about this coming time of the end of the age. Uh, Matthew 24 is full of detail. Revelation is full of detail. Every book of the Bible, virtually every book of the Bible has details about God's plan for the end of the age. Do
0: you think he wants us to understand it? I think he does. I think he does, yeah. too. And I don't know why everyone is so convinced it's so confusing. It's challenging, but it's pretty laid out there. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's. You're, I think
1: you said it. It's challenging. Very. Yeah, It but. is a hard puzzle to put together because the pieces of God's plan for the end of the age are all over Scripture. And you need to be diligent to study all the parts and put the pieces together appropriately. Um, that's why it's so important to whatever teaching you get to go back to Scripture. And as the Bereans, to search the Scriptures for yourself to see if what this teacher is saying, whatever teacher it is, what they're saying is true or not.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff. So when we return the next time we jump back into Second Thessalonians, we will we will pick up with that uh, that powerful lie, delusion. That powerful delusion, Jeff. That's a cliffhanger. I can't wait uh, <laughs> to resume this study. Jeff Verdorn's been my guest, and that is our show for the day. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I appreciate uh, the way you uh, listen to Faith Radio, care about us, support us. Thank you so much. If you missed any of this uh, show, make sure you go to the podcast, check it out, or pass it on to a friend who also likes studying uh, end times. Have a great night, everyone, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.